Read my lips, no new taxes. Grover Norquist stops by to discuss how you don't even realize all the money that you're making thanks to the Trump administration. And then Grover spills the beans on an incredible piece of executive action that may make you even more money. This is all good news. After that, with conservatives like Tommy Lauren, who needs leftists, we will finally have to analyze Tommy's very unfortunate comments on television. But to make us all feel better again, Daily Wire 2 sports correspondent Jeremy the God King Boring stops by for a World Cup update. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. There is so much going on today, I don't even know where to begin. Obviously, the uh, Trump judicial nominee, the Supreme Court nominee, has not quite come out yet. We're hearing little rumors. I don't want to report on it quite yet, but we'll have, we'll have more on that tomorrow. Some other great news. I am going on tour. I am coming to a college near you. There's a time and a place for everything, and that place is college. That's right. I'm teaming up with YAF, Y-A-F, Young America's Foundation, to go on a college tour this fall. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can check out. They just did a story on it at yaf.org. Uh, you can read all about the tour. It's going to be called Kofefe on Campus. We're going to be addressing the really the eternal questions, politics, religion, how to be a man when you look like a madow, uh, how to sell a, uh, how to not write anything and sell 100,000 copies. And we, were, we are going to analyze on this tour once and for all what Kofefe really means. If you want your college to be a part of that tour, go to yaf.org and put in a request ASAP. I'd, I'd really put it in quickly because there, there are only going to be limited engagements and we're going to start looking at that list really soon. So go to yaf.org and put in a request ASAP if you want Kofefe on your campus this fall. Uh, and again, it is time to join the conversation on Tuesday, July 17th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific. Andrew Clavin, the Supreme Lord of the Multiverse himself, will answer your questions, moderated by the beautiful and dauntless Elisha Krause. The Q&A will stream live on YouTube and Facebook for everyone to watch. Only Daily Wire subscribers can ask Drew questions. To submit your questions, log into dailywire.com, head over to the conversation page to watch the live stream. Type your question into the Daily Wire chat box. Have it read and answered on the air. But you can only do that if you're a subscriber. Subscribe to get your questions answered by Andrew Clavin, Supreme Lord of the Multiverse, Tuesday, July 17th at 5.30 Eastern, 2.30 Pacific, and join the conversation. we got to get to this World Cup update. Before we do that, it's summertime. And that means two things. One, it means I need to make a little money, honey, so we got to thank a wonderful sponsor. It also means the flies are coming back. And I can speak to this very personally because I live in Southern California. And because Southern California is one of the uh, centers of all evil in the modern world. <laughs> there are a lot of flies. You know, the Lord doesn't always paint with a subtle brush. So I, thank goodness for Dynatrap. Dynatrap's indoor fly light is the only effective solution to indoor flies I have ever seen. I use these constantly. I'm probably bankrupting the company because they give me a freebie to try. And then I just took like four or five of them. I put them all over my apartment. They are so, so good. Uh, we, uh, Dynatrap is the leading manufacturer of outdoor mosquito and insect traps. Uh, now they've come out with the indoor fly light. It looks really subtle. Sometimes when I was in New York, I'd use fly tape, you know, which is just what trash people use, you know, <laughs> it just looks awful. You invite people over to your apartment and it's just, oh, I'd like to show you all the flies that I've decorated my apartment with. Oh, that look at that cute little bug hanging from my light. Don't do that. You, you get the indoor fly light. It looks really chic. Uh, it's a nice metallic look to it. 
the light is good. It also hides all of the bugs. Uh, really good. I could not recommend this product more highly. I am, I am a customer as well. I'm buying more of these things. Go to Dynatrap.com, D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-P.com. Enter the promo code DAILYWIRE, D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. Receive 15% off any of their products. Let me spell all those things for you again. D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-P, D-O-T-C-O-M. Promo code D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. L-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z. 15% off their products. Promo code DAILYWIRE. Dynatrap, the safe, silent, simple solution to household insect control. Without further ado, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about, uh, about what's going on in the news and about this YAF tour. Before that, I need an update from the world of sports. For that, we turn to our sister network, Daily Wire 2 sports correspondent, Jeremy the God King Boring. Yowza! Thank you, Michael. It's great to be back with you for a segment one YouTube commenter observed as coming off more like ignorance than humor. That's our Daily Wire 2 coverage of the Fujiwater World Cup. Let's get right into the action, or what passes for action in a sport where the tied game can be resolved by giving two teams yet another opportunity to tie. <laughs> that, however, is not what happened in our first story of the week. That is host Russia's humiliating defeat at the hands of their former socialist protégés, Croatia. Mm. After a tied match, Michael, it all came down to the shootout, in which each team was given five penalty kicks to determine the winner. It's actually the most eventful and near-stimulating moment in any soccer match, which raises an obvious question. Since any tie is statistically indistinguishable from a 0-0 score, which is how every game begins, why can't we just skip the entire deathly dull affair and go straight to the shootout in every soccer match? Mm -hmm. Of course, that would admittedly make soccer feel like a completely frivolous non-game in which the winner is essentially determined by luck, which I believe is the answer to YouTube commenter Mikey87's question of the week. Quote, WTF does GDP have to do with anything, comma, it's a sport, exclamation mark. Well, you're half right, Mikey87, as Russia found out the hard way by being unmanned by a nation with roughly 3% of their gross domestic product. <laughs> also, if you skip the entire match, where would you put the funny commercials? Oh, that's right. There aren't any funny commercials in soccer, since no human being anywhere on Earth has the kind of willpower and discipline over their attention span to actually wait even longer to see what's going to happen in the next slow-moving children's game in which not a single thing has ever happened since that one guy was hurt ironically while faking an injury in 1957. Also, most people for whom this dreadful exhibition is their only escape don't have the individual income to purchase things in the first place. Still. The biggest news of the week, at least for Anglophiles, was England's defeat of Sweden, both in GDP, 2 trillion to 511 billion, and in gameplay, 2 0. Mm -hmm. That's right. England has officially made the semifinals, bringing their number one best selling single dream one step closer to reality. It's coming to the house. <laughs> of course, I know that many of our viewers, as proud and patriotic Americans, are wondering why we here at the Daily Wire 2 haven't devoted a bit more time to covering America's standing in the current worldwide tournament. We too have been confused as to why we haven't seen Old Glory waving above more matches. Fortunately, angry YouTube killjoy Morosa pointed us to the answer with this edifying comment. Quote, clearly you're triggered 
because the U.S. couldn't qualify against the likes of Panama and Trinidad and Tobago, LOL. Candidly, Morosa, this sports journalist had no idea, as I, like almost every one of America's native sons who didn't grow up doing missionary work in the third world or <laughs> being a girl, never, contemplate, never contemplated this farce of a competition even once since I was five years old and learning basic motor functions. I am, however, certainly triggered now that I know. You mean to tell me that despite having a GDP equal to 25% of the world's total economy, owning the world's reserve currency, having the finest athletes in the world as evidenced by almost every metric, including having won more medals than any other country in the Olympics by double, having the longest enduring constitutional republic in human history, and having almost single-handedly invented all of the splendid wonders of modernity, and having kept the free nations of the world largely safe for more than a half century, America can't beat a Caribbean island nation with fewer than a million and a half people and a GDP lower than that kid who invented putting pictures of your food on the internet for people to like? Why? I dare say, one begins to wonder if this whole soccer business is even a fair measurement of human accomplishment at all. Michael, yowza, back to you. A uh, really thorough report, Jeremy. I, I really yeah. appreciate that. Uh, I, I was wondering, would you say you spent more time looking at the YouTube comments on our uh, segment or watching the World Cup? Yowza! Back to you! <laughs> Terrific. Well, I, I can't wait for the next update. I do have to ask, as I think are all red-blooded patriotic Americans, mm. how much longer is this World Cup going to go on? Hell if I know, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I, I sort of hope this World Cup keeps going on and on because uh, while well, I, I haven't been watching has. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really, these, these segments have really kept me so abreast. I feel like I've learned something hmm. in every single one. And I, and I hope the rest of our audience has finally learned something too. Uh, Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy the God King Boring, everybody. See you next week. <laughs> really thorough stuff. I we we I'm really glad we finally started up that sister network, you know, for all of that important sports coverage that we couldn't get to. Really great. So we had Grover Norquist come by. Uh, we're obviously all waiting for the Supreme Court nomination decision right now. I have noticed that uh, people are just saying little gossip on Twitter and everything. Uh, all of the people in the Trump coalition who really matter uh, to to the Trump coalition from a wide variety of places in it, movement conservatives, Republicans, office holders, grassroots activists, all this. They all seem to be pushing for Amy Coney Barrett, though it's unclear right now who it's going to be. We'll talk about that a little at the end, what Trump has to gain or lose from the possible nominees. I also am going to take on Tommy Lahren and kill, you know, it kills me. I try to be so nice to people and I don't want to like destroy so-and-so or destroy or whatever, like be mean to people within the broad tent of the right wing. Tommy Lauren has just gone too far and she's slandered pro-life conservatives one too many times and she's really spouting destructive nonsense. So we're going to, we're going to cover that at the very end. Before we get to Grover, I gotta, I gotta make a little more money, honey. Listen, I mean this, the, Grover's going to explain to us why we're all even richer than we think we are. I, I am, I'm giving you something right now. I'm about to I'm going to personally make you richer by telling you about Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile is the solution to cell phones. You know this. You sign up for some cell phone plan and then you think you're paying one price and you end up somehow your your bill always comes in the mail and it's just gigantic and you think why am I paying 100, 200 dollars a month for cell phone service? The big in big wireless stands for a lot of things. 
Big contracts, big bills, big secrets. What companies like AT&T and Verizon don't want you to know is there's a way to cut down your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month. That is no joke. $15 a month. Your bill comes, it's 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile. You won't have to sacrifice service. You won't have to sacrifice anything. Mint Mobile is the game-changing company that's taken everything wrong with big wireless, made it right. Mint Mobile is proving to millions of Americans that getting your wireless bill doesn't have to be the worst day of the month. You can keep your old number. You can keep all of your existing contracts. You can choose between two, five, or 10 gigabyte 4G LTE plans. The the big secret here, one of the reasons that cell phone companies are able to uh, charge you an arm and a leg is because they are way overcharging you for data. So you'll maybe you've signed up for an unlimited data plan. You say, oh good, I've got unlimited and I'm paying a zillion dollars for it, but I have unlimited. But mo- the average American uses five gigabytes of data a month. They don't use any of it. It's like, you know, you're paying for, you go to dinner, you want, you want to get like a quick little dinner with your wife and they say, hey, so you can either get that, that nice dinner over there or you can spend $4,000 and have an unlimited supply of hamburgers. So, oh, okay, well, unlimited, unlimited hamburger sounds good. I don't know if I should spend $4,000, right? That you don't want to overpay for data that you're not using. Uh, every plan comes with unlimited talk and text. You can safely annoy your friends and loved ones. If you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with a seven-day money-back guarantee. You try it out. If on that sixth day, you know, at the 11.59 at night or whatever, uh, you can get all your money back for that. Try it. Outfox your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, plus free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card, which is so easy to install. You just get the card, pop it in. They'll give you a little tool for it, but you can use a paperclip, pop it in, pop it out. It takes you two seconds. It's really easy. I've seen it. I've done it. It's very simple to do. Mintmobile.com slash Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Mint, M-I-N-T, mobile, M-O-B-I-L-E.com slash Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Get free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card. Mintmobile.com slash Covfefe. Without further ado, we had one of the key figures of the conservative movement for the last 50 years, Grover Norquist. Uh, He's the head of Americans for Tax Reform. He was the head of the College Republican National Committee when he was a young man. I I believe it was President Reagan who asked him to start Americans for Tax Reform. Uh, He has been a conservative leader to keep the Republican Party to the right, to keep our taxes low, to stop the government from taking away our freedom and our property. Uh, He stopped by to talk about what's really going on in uh, the Trump tax plan, what it means for the rest of us, what President Trump's administration can do and might be doing to give you even more disposable income and where he sees the conservative movement going. Without further ado, here's my interview with Grover Norquist. Grover, thank you for being here. Yes. So I look around right now, I see a deregulation, government on the way to being able to drown itself in a bathtub. I see major tax reform. Grover, thank you for being here. Yes. So I look around right now, I see a deregulation, government on the way to being able to drown itself in a bathtub. I see major tax reform. I see uh, a movement for smaller government. I see uh, more originalists on the court who are willing to rein in an expansive government. Are you ready to declare victory? I'm ready to declare that we're moving in the right direction. We have a long way to go because the other team took a hundred years to mess it up. Half of the federal government was created in four years, between 34 and 36, the New Deal, a bunch of entitlements, and between 64 and 66, that's 10% of GDP absorbed by government programs created in 
four years only. But to get there, they had to get a supermajority, pass it, back off, uh, and, and lose the next set of elections, uh, and then keep going with some steady upward movement, largely because of their entitlement. So we have a long way to go, but we are heading in the right direction on several parallel paths, as you say, regulation, taxes, even on spending. I mean, we're, we're, gonna make, we're making some progress. Absolutely. It's, it's uh, difficult to keep in mind how much ground we lost during the Obama administration. And this was s- such the argument in 2016. You say, guys, you know, we have careened off of this cliff. We need to do anything we can to, to pull it back in the right direction. On tax reform, which a lot of President Trump's critics said that it's never going to get through, they're not going to be able to pass it. He's able to get it through in his first year. Uh, does tax reform mean a better PR strategist? It seems like this should be much more popular than it is. It's a tax cut for virtually all Americans. And when you factor in the corporate tax cut, it is a tax cut for all Americans. Uh, Why is it not more popular? There are two challenges. The first is that today, 83% of Americans have direct deposit for their paychecks. Um, I don't see my paycheck. It goes straight to the bank. I I couldn't tell you how much of a tax cut I got because I don't look at that difference. And so quite a number of Americans have not looked and seen that every two weeks, every month, they've got more being put into their bank accounts than last year. Uh, The IRS calculates that more than 90% of Americans have a significant cut in their taxes, which means an increase in their pay. It's one of the things we need to say over and over again is a tax cut is a pay increase for taxpayers. A tax cut is a pay increase for taxpayers, and 90% of Americans got that pay increase. In May, there was a jump in consumer spending. Some economists think that people actually looked at their bank account and said, hey, there's more than we thought. Um, And they didn't notice it every two weeks, but they did notice it in May, and you saw spending uh, move upward. The other challenge is we made fundamental changes in the economy that will be benefiting us for the next 100 years with more investment in the United States, $300 billion flowed back in in the first three months of this year, $305 billion. $1.7 billion is expected over a two-year period. That translates into higher wages. Uh, the economists say between four or $5,000 for somebody making between fifty dollars and $70,000 a year. That doesn't happen tomorrow, but it goes up and it lasts the rest of your life in terms of that increased sustainable pay increase because of more capital here in the United States. That's a great point. And when you talk about uh, rearranging certain institutions and certain structures in the United States for longer-term investment, for longer-term prosperity, the tariffs have been in the news a lot lately. President Trump is threatening these tariffs with people who are ripping us off, who the World Trade Organization would say is playing unfairly. uh, What are the risks, what are the rewards of this tariff fight, and how do you think it's going to play out? Well, Trump is right on two big points that we've agreed to to tariff deals, to free trade agreements that are less advantageous to the United States than they should have been. This is after World War II. We felt sorry for everybody. They were all flattened. We were still doing reasonably well. And we gave away more than we needed to over time, uh, both to Japan and to Germany, the people we vanquished and our allies in Europe. Uh, Those need to be readjusted. And just as the fact that the Europeans don't pay enough for their defense, uh, on NATO. We pay more than they do, and it's their neighborhood we're defending. Right. We're not worried about the Canadians whacking us. Uh, well, not since 1812 anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, th- So 
we do have to rethink some of this. And Trump is completely right. And the Europeans go nuts because they've been on a free ride for a long time. And as have some of our trading partners. He's right about that. Uh, second point is that he wants to get to a more open and freer trading agreement, not to have permanent walls or barriers or, or protectionism. That's not what he's argued for. He has threatened tariffs in order to get their attention to reduce tariff barriers. Uh, and some of the agreements that seem to be coming will do exactly that. The danger, that his goals are good and important. The danger is that when you're playing this uh, game of fighting with tariffs, you're not in charge of both sides of this. The Chinese mm -hmm. can decide maybe they like certain tariffs and they can take a lot more pain because they don't have elections in November, and we do. Uh, so a trade war that goes on as opposed to a conflict and argument and trying to come to a better agreement, one that's even be better for the Europeans and, and other trading partners over time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there is that danger that it spins out of control. And we end up with the Hatfields and McCoys. Nobody can remember who was punching who, why, but we keep punching each other. That is a danger. It's happened before. Uh, but I do think that with the people around Trump and Trump himself, they understand that the goal is more open trade because we win that. Mm -hmm. But we also need to keep our taxes low. We were handicapping ourselves when we had a 35% corporate rate. And communist China, 25%, we're at 35%. Does that make any sense at all? We shoot ourselves in the foot with it, with trade, and then we'll yell at the Chinese because that's their fault. No, that was stupid things our government did to us. Our trial lawyer laws, our tort laws, are destructive. No other country's as goofy as our tort laws are. We need to reform that, uh, and our regulatory uh, rules are much more damaging to us than any other country does to themselves. So some of the stuff we can just stop beating our own head against the wall. That's helpful. And the other, we need to tell the Europeans and the Japanese and the Chinese, we need to get better agreements. The president's committed to that. We get that in the next couple of months. I think you'll see the stock market shoot through the roof going into November uh, because it's a little bit slower than it could be. The, the tax cuts done very well. But there's a concern that tariffs could escalate. Uh, yeah, could escalate, could wipe out some of those gains. And it, it is a, such a great point. A lot of those trade deals negotiated after World War II, you think now we're 70 years on, we don't need to keep, uh, you know, doling out the charity here. And, and same thing with NATO. I, I wonder, looking forward at the election, what can President Trump point to? Booming economy, record high employment, uh, tax cut for virtually all Americans, on and on and on. Foreign affairs in a more stable place, the regulatory regime being slashed. We, I'm sorry? No war. No war. That's right. I mean, we could be here all day naming the concrete policy achievements of the administration. And uh, so what the left throws out is allegations of racism or Nazism or he's a mean person and he's a sexist or, or whatever. Uh, how do you think that will play? You've been in Republican politics a long time. How do you think that plays in November? Historically speaking, probably Republicans should lose the House. Uh, how do you see things shaking out? Yeah, I think the Senate looks very good because of the playing field, because of the quality of the candidates we got. We're not running any more moors in Alabama, yeah. uh, running top quality candidates. How do you lose Alabama? How do you lose Alabama? It's unbelievable. Yes, it was, it was not helpful. Uh, and had we gotten that, there are a number of things we could have accomplished this year that we just weren't able to, that we will be able to do next year. Now, I'm a little less worried about the House than some people because 
when they say the average over the last 10 elections is to lose 30. The reason that's the average is that when Clinton raised taxes, he lost 60. Mm -hmm. When Obama raised taxes, he lost 60. You average those with the two Bush years where they didn't really lose much at all and gained a little bit. Um, 60 and zero average to 30. But our guy, Trump, and the Republican House and Senate didn't raise taxes, didn't explode new government programs. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not sure that there's some sort of rule about 30. Uh, it's a historical accident. But I think it is if you raise taxes and throw on massive new spending programs, you lose a lot of House seats. So we do have to worry. The other team is very energized. They see their whole future evaporating in front of them. They see a Supreme Court that no longer drags the country to the left every three months with some new lurch. I mean, they, they think we're going to go whack back the other way. If we just got a Supreme Court which held things steady and let the House and the Senate and the American people make decisions, we wouldn't be dragged leftward, ever leftward. And there are some decisions on questions like racial quotas and property rights and how much power the uh, bureaucrats have, uh, Chevron deference and other issues like that, where I think we will see sizable shift as we did uh, with the Janus case, mm -hmm. which says 5 million people who've been forced to pay union dues, even though they didn't want to join the union, you don't have to do that anymore. That's huge. That's um, a tremendous step forward towards liberty and has the side benefit of defunding the modern left. That is it. And that is the, that is the focus. I know some people, uh, particularly Trump's critics on the right, they were just arguing over, uh, you know, how many, how many Republicans can dance on the head of a pin. And of course, uh, the, the object here is liberty and liberty is increasing. The Janus case is a good example of that. Although we do see, even from the, the Tea Party years onward into this new Trump era of politics, a shift in the conversation from issues like deficits, uh, the primacy of lowering taxes, increasing economic liberty. There is a bit of a shift into cultural issues. We're talking, you know, uh, Andrew Breitbart was fond of saying politics is downstream of culture. Now there are these larger cultural issues. Do you see that uh, trend moving even more in that direction? Do you see that as opposed to the economic agenda or do they work in tandem? Well, the establishment press, I don't know why people call it the mainstream press. <laughs> they don't represent the middle of the country. Nobody the watches. I think I get more viewers than MSNBC. I'm on the internet. But the, but the establishment press, the three networks and PBS and stuff like that, um, they find cultural issues, left of center cultural issues, endlessly fascinating mm -hmm. because you can talk about them without knowing anything. Right. Uh, and you can also talk about them without any numbers involved that get in the way of your theory. Uh, whereas if you want to talk about spending and taxes and growth, you do have some numbers that are kind of hard reality to, to, to bounce up again. Um, we're better off expanding liberty. I, I think cultures downstream of, of politics in the sense that if you give people more liberty, hmm. we now have 2 million people homeschooling. 30 years ago, only two states allowed homeschooling. Uh, we changed the law to allow concealed carry permits in more than 40 states. There's 17 and a half million Americans with concealed carry permits. That changed the nature of the Second Amendment debate more than anything else, not hunting. Hunting's been fairly stable, declining even. But people with concealed carry permits feeling comfortable carrying to defend themselves and their families um, have changed the culture. Uh, and with the decline in uh, union, union power, meaning power over workers, workers are more free to vote the way they want to instead of how they're told to. Hence, Trump and the Republicans carrying Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin and Indiana and Iowa 
all have a unionized states that years ago, the unions would have driven the vote and the politics in those states with coerced union dues. Now we have right to work in Michigan. Uh, in Iowa, they passed Act 10, like they did in Wisconsin, saying no more stolen money in politics. You know, I'm, I'm not opposed to money in politics. I'm opposed to stolen money in mm, politics. Right. That's a great point. And when you give people liberty, they, they will react. It is funny. I, you can picture two people bickering over politics and this and that. And, uh, but then when you present them with the reality of prosperity, the reality of deregulation, the reality of just being more free to say what you want to say and do what you want to do and spend your money the way you want to spend your money, raise your kids the way you want to raise your kids, a lot of that goes away. There's an entire generation now, my generation, that grew up with really only foggy memories of economic prosperity. And uh, I think the reality of that is, is really finally setting in. I, I have to harken back because you're so famous for Americans for tax reform being this central force in conservative politics for decades. You also were the executive director of the College Republican National Committee. Now, having uh, spent some time with the college Republicans, I go to campuses and speak a fair bit. Uh, Do you see any shift there? Have you paid attention to what's going on on the campuses? Obviously, the universities themselves have imploded because of leftist tyranny, basically. But uh, what's going on with the conservative movement as as it takes place on university campuses? I was in college, uh, 74 to 78, and we were coming right out of the 60s. I was at Harvard, where the left took over buildings and trash stuff. Uh, so the idea that, that, that conservatives today are, are put upon strikes me as this, this is not completely new. <laughs> um, this has happened before. Uh, they were blowing up things in the 60s and the 70s with bombs uh, and killing people. So uh, the left on campus, the weathermen and so on, uh, the Black Panthers. These, these were serious, deadly, serious uh, political structures. And now, you know, they try and mow mow people. But even I think one of the advantages the right had coming out of the 70s was the boy named Sue phenomenon, which is to be a liberal. Uh, all my left wing friends at the Harvard Crimson student newspaper was me and a bunch of Bolsheviks. Uh, and they would say things like, well, you know, the death marches in, uh, in Cambodia, they're bringing people into rural health clinics. That's what they would say was going on. <laughs> and everybody would go, oh, that's very nice that they're moving people into rural health clinics as hundreds of thousands died and were murdered. Uh, but nobody challenged them. Mm. But if I would say, I think property rights are important, you'd get 20 questions. Well, what if you're on an island and there's only one, you know, a well and you own the, that, 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 that. You really had to be on the top of your game to be involved in politics. The Dartmouth Review crowd up, yeah. uh, at, uh, at Dartmouth University, they put out a feisty, well-written, free market conservative uh, publication, and they got hit all the time. They really had to learn to defend themselves. And a lot of talent came out of the campuses because they were opp- oppressed, because they were um, asked 50 questions, defend yourself, defend yourself, defend yourself. And the left guys like Gore could go around going, I invented the internet. And nobody said, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, they come again. Yeah. <laughs> a question. And now they're even more lackadaisical on the left. They have a couple of magic words. They say diversity, and they're supposed to have won the argument, uh, whatever that is supposed right. to imply. Well, but, now, it, now it's really the boy named Sue phenomenon where you just have to call boys Sue. That's the, that's yes. the, and you say, okay, we well, can't question this. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes, it needs to be a challenge. But, but I think our guys are tougher coming out of campus because of that. Yeah. And will be again. 
You're, you are totally right. I, I can attest to this just from my own uh, brief experience. You know, uh, there, there was, when I was in college, they, the lefties uh, had their Occupy New Haven protest, and they weren't going and taking over. I'm sorry. Why would you want to do that? I've been to New Haven. I know. Yeah, well, I, listen, I, you know, I was in New Haven for four years. Then I stopped occupying. I got out of there basically right afterward. But these people, they come in and they just occupy. They didn't take over Willard Hall and, you know, with machine guns or something. They just sort of sat around like boring hippies. And But for the 10 of us or so on campus who were conservatives, they there were all of these jibes. You were constantly having to defend your thoughts. And this was really good because you, you actually did change your thoughts. It's why I recommend to people who write in and say, should I, you know, should I never send my kid to any left-wing institution? I said, no, send him to some crazy left-wing school. As long as he can defend his thoughts, it'll either, it'll ruin him or it will make him actually understand what he thinks and think through his own conservative thought. They had, at Yale, they had the Buckley program, uh, free speech gala a, a few years ago, and they had Yale students spitting on the attendees. They said, how dare you want to have free speech and consider other ideas? I mean, that's, that's really the education that the left gets on campus. The right has so much more opportunity. Uh, I'll just, uh, I want to leave on this one question. Where do you see it going, you know, uh, from the campuses all the way up through the White House? What is next for the conservative movement? You've been, you've been at the center of it for so long. Where are we headed? Sure. The next big win is this Supreme Court appointment, which will give us a 5-4 uh, control that really will uh, rein in some of the abusive drift to the left. And that has nothing uh, to do with President Trump, right? That's what my Trump critic friends on the right, that had nothing to do with Trump. Trump won. <laughs> Romney forgot to win. Yeah. Okay. He just let it out of his mind, but it's, oh, I should have won. Yeah, darn. There is, there is virtue in winning. Um, and also, again, he put together that list. This is, you know, the idea that somehow this, he put together a list. He said, hold me to this. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, better than what, than, than either Bush did, better than what Reagan had, frankly. Now, he had over time a conservative movement around him that made that a lot easier. He had a Republican House and Senate that made it easier, but that still didn't get Romney or McCain across the finish line. And we, we limped across the finish line twice with, with Bush. So um, Trump brought something to the table by winning, and he is governed uh, in a way that expands liberty through the courts. He's focused on the courts along with Mitch McConnell. The two of them are working that very, very well. They keep winning more and more of those uh, seats. I understand we'll have 20 to 25% of the circuit court seats by December. Wow. All people. So this is very helpful. Keep the Senate. We can keep that uh, going. The next big apple to drop, the next big thing to happen is that there is a movement for the Treasury Secretary to change the, say, by the definition of cost when you calculate capital gains is not cost what you paid for land or a building or stock, but cost plus inflation. Hmm. So it takes inflation out of capital gains. About half of capital gains is inflation when you sell a home, a building, land, stock, your grandmother's owned for 50 years. Right. And it will drop, in effect, drop the capital gains tax in half uh, and tremendously strengthen the economy. Uh, you can do this by not executive order, but by definitional change, by regulatory change. The secretary uh, Mnuchin of the Treasury said that if Congress doesn't do it, he may. Uh, many of the people, half the cabinet I've talked to is for it. The entire leadership, House and Senate, supports it. 
hasn't gotten a lot of attention, although the Wall Street Journal did a piece where Mnuchin said it'd be good for the economy, and if Congress doesn't act, I may. Okay, uh, so I think that'll happen in the next two months. I think you'll see the stock market begin to go way up, very strong. Uh, every house, all land, all stock would all be worth more because it's a hedge against taxes on inflation rather than being the tax on inflation, which makes selling an old house or an old you know, land or buildings more expensive than it should be. So that should be a tremendous liberalization of the economy. I, Grover, I have got to have you back more often. I feel so good by the end of this. this is, I was already feeling good with the way the country is going, but there's a lot of uh, light on the horizon and uh, we can just look forward to it. Grover Norquist, thank you so much for being here. Good to be with you. Take it easy. Man, I've got to bring him back all day long. We, we, we don't have the great news yet. We're going to see. I, 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 I'm waiting on the, uh, the Supreme Court pick to see if uh, Trump just trolls everybody and picks Merrick Garland. He's like, ha ha, I got you, you know, tee And then we'll go on to the next one. I've got so much more to talk about. We've got to talk about Tommy Lauren. I've held my tongue too long on her. And another, another little laugh we can all have together before this SCOTUS pick. But if you're on Facebook or YouTube, I'm sorry. You've got to go to dailywire.com to see the rest of the show. It's 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You will get me, The Andrew Klavan Show, The Ben Shapiro Show, Ask Questions in the Conversation, Ask Questions in the Mailbag. None of that matters. Because unless President Trump nominates Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court, which I don't think Vegas is putting a lot of money on right now, then tomorrow morning, oh, tomorrow morning, most likely, we hope, knock on wood, you'll be able to just... Mm. It's, it's, it's right now, even it's too much, just all, the, all of the op-eds leading up to the decision. Make sure you get your leftist cheers tumbler. You need it. We'll be right back. Go to dailywire.com. Tommy Lauren. Oh, Tommy Lauren. Look, you know me. I don't like to be mean to people. I don't even like to be mean to lefties. I definitely don't like to be mean to people who are ostensibly in the conservative coalition or sort of right wing or conservative or whatever. That is why, by the way, when Tommy Lauren last year went on The View and called pro-life conservatives hypocrites, slandered pro-life conservatives, I held my tongue because I actually sort of feel bad for her. She got very famous when she was very young and very ignorant, and I wanted to give her a free pass and so she could like read a book or something and then stop spouting this sort of nonsense. Then, last night, at the most crucial moment, as President Trump looks to fill a Supreme Court seat, a generational, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to restore American liberty and constitutional jurisprudence, Tommy Lauren goes on television and spouts this incoherent, destructive blather. Here it is. I'm going to say something my fellow conservatives and Trump supporters may not like, but I must be true to my beliefs, whatever the party line. So it's time for final thoughts. Pressing for a Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade would be a huge mistake. Yes, the new high court vacancy is a huge opportunity for conservative values and principles. I get it. And I understand the passion behind the pro-life movement, but to use conservatives' newfound power and pull to challenge a decision that, according to new Quinnipiac poll, most Americans support would be a mistake. This president is winning for the American people on the economy, foreign policy, and tax reform. These are areas that benefit all Americans, regardless of religion or social beliefs. 
If we continue to focus on these things and immigration, we'll sail into 2020 with all three branches in our control. That's how we get things done for the American people. That's how we win. Let's go after sanctuary cities and push for voter ID laws. We lose when we start tampering with social issues. Consider this, when Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch got to his confirmation hearings with the Senate Judiciary Committee, he was grilled on the so-called Trump litmus test on abortion. He responded by telling Senator Lindsey Graham he would have walked out the door if Trump had asked him to overturn Roe. Even if conservatives decide to go for the Roe v. Wade jugular, it's unlikely to succeed. Legal tradition makes it harder to overturn a past decision unless there are strong grounds for doing so. And a departure from precedent like Roe, which has since been upheld by other cases, is even harder to come by. During his hearing, Justice Gorsuch made a point of noting the decision had already been reaffirmed several times. Do we really want to fight for this, alienate Democrats, moderates, and libertarians all to lose in the end anyway? That's a risk I don't think is worth taking. And I'm saying this as someone who would personally choose life, but also feels it's not the government's place to dictate. This isn't a black and white issue and I would never judge anyone in that position. I believe the way to encourage someone to choose life is to treat her with compassion, understanding, and love, not government regulation. Because let's be honest, the federal government does few things well and I believe regulating social issues is an area where it fails. Let the churches, the nonprofits, and the community groups step in, not almighty Uncle Sam. But those are my final thoughts. Feel free to disagree. I don't even know where to begin. I don't even, where do I begin with that? I think just about everything she said was wrong and just utterly uninformed and, and ignorant of even what the question is. So I, and, and the worst part of this is that we're, we're at this crucial moment. We're at the, this most important hour. And she uses this opportunity to spout this destructive nonsense to, to, to begin. So let's just, let's, I don't know, let's just jump in. She says, look, I would personally choose life but I, I would never tell other people to choose life. W why? Why would you personally choose life? Is it because it's a, it's a living being? Is it because it's a human and you don't want to kill the human? Is, or is what you're saying basically, I would never kill my beautiful special progeny, but all those poor ethnic minorities, they should kill theirs. That's what you're saying. When you say, I would personally never choose life because my baby is like special, but all your little babies kill those babies. We don't need those babies. So I, and let's go back to the top. She says that we, we not just that uh, we shouldn't be pro-life anymore as conservatives, we shouldn't overturn Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is the worst decision in the history of the Supreme Court. It is based on absolutely nothing. It comes from a fabricated constitutional right to abortion based on an earlier fabricated constitutional general right to privacy that does not exist. The judges who said that it exists, who invented it, said that it doesn't come from the Constitution. It comes from the penumbras and the emanations of the penumbral emanating blah, 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 blah. We just want it to exist. It's totally made up. So just to begin, regardless of what you think about abortion, Roe v. Wade has to be overturned because it's anti-constitutional. It steals the, the right to decide public policy questions from where it belongs in the legislature, with the states, with the people. And it steals that for the government. If Tommy's argument here is that uh, we, we shouldn't give undue power to the government, the, that decision just in and of itself, with, without regard to the, the question of abortion, it gives utterly undue power to the, the Constitution. It almost cracks our constitutional system. Then afterward, the, the notion that uh, running on social issues uh, will hurt Republicans is simply not true. President Trump ran on social issues. He ran a vigorously pro-life 
a campaign. She actually references it in this incoherent segment. She says that Neil Gorsuch, when he was up for the court, had to answer for President Trump's policy because in his campaign, President Trump promised, I will appoint justices to overturn Roe v. Wade. He won on that. That's what won, Tommy, not running away from that. So even her, her own evidence for her point actually utterly undercuts her point and argues for the opposite of her point. Also then, to say that we're going to lose future elections if we talk about abortion, young Americans are the most pro-life generation in the country. It's not that Americans have gotten more in favor of abortion over time. The, the American, since Roe v. Wade, America has moved much more in the direction of pro-life. The country is about evenly split right now. And actually, when you drill down and act, ask proper questions about when babies should be allowed to be killed. The country becomes overwhelmingly pro-life, but young Americans, millennials are the most pro-life generation in the country. So, so that point doesn't make any sense. And then she says, uh, we need to win. We need to win, 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 win. So we've already seen that her strategy wouldn't win, right? The winning strategy is the one that we're doing, the pro-life strategy. But what is winning if we say, look, guys, if we just stop trying to do conservative things, then conservatives will win. That, that's a Pyrrhic victory, darling. That's not, that isn't a win. That's, that's, a, that's the opposite of a win. That's abdicating responsibility entirely. And it kills me to take shots at uh, people who call themselves conservative or think they're conservatives. But first of all, this was, to, do, to give this ridiculous screed on national television, this fact-free screed at so crucial an hour is either utterly reckless and brain dead, or it's sabotage of the conservative movement as a justice is about to be picked once in a lifetime. So it, it, it demands wide sweeping opprobrium. But also, you, look, you get second chances, but you don't get endless chances. If you're going to be a national television star, you need to read a book. You ha- Like one book. You need to understand at least the, the question that you're discussing, regardless of your point on it. My problem isn't that uh, uh, Tommy is apparently a pro-abortion fanatic, so to speak. She takes the sacramental view of abortion, apparently, for everybody's babies but her own. It, that isn't quite the issue. The issue is she doesn't even understand the question. She has no idea what is at stake, and she's spouting this destructive inanity on, on national television. Uh, she, she's more than welcome. Tommy, if you're, if you're watching this clip, you're more than welcome to come on the show, and we can talk about this. I hope you do come on the show. But uh, one cannot remain silent when this sort of nonsense is being spouted by uh, w- what are apparently saboteurs in the conservative movement. If, if, you're, uh, if you've got conservatives like this, who needs leftists? Who needs them? Uh, that's just a little, a little fiery point to end on because it's so, so frustrating when conservatives or nominal conservatives try to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Before we go away, I know we're running out of time, but I've just got to turning to the actual question of the Supreme Court today and the actual question of who this nominee is going to be. Cabot Phillips, a great, <laughs> a great genius and uh, wonderful uh, media figure from campus reform. He went out and he asked students what they thought of President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. Now, I know what you're thinking. President Trump hasn't nominated anybody for the Supreme Court, so how did he do that? Well, uh, he just uh, he just said that he had, and the students, not knowing anything about anything, uh, decided to give their impressions of the person who does not yet exist. Here is Cabot Phillips. What's your reaction to the, the, the justice that he nominated today? I'm honestly not surprised by his choice, yeah. but that's just worse for us. I just saw the pick, and I was like, like... It's almost at a point where you kind of expect that some, it's not going to be what you want. He's quite, you know, extreme in his views, and I don't know if it would make the Supreme Court very even. I see it all over the news that, like, he's, he's like, uh, 
racist. This new like nominee is very racist, and I think it's starting a new wave of something, something very negative. And I'm really scared about what happens in the future and what choices he'll make. And so, what reaction have you seen on social media today after the news? Oh outrage as it should be if this is just a reoccurring thing he keeps doing this with different positions and just doing whatever he wants abusing his power yeah. do you, do you, so do you feel like his pick is an abuse of power uh basically yeah his entire cabinet and everyone he's chosen has been the white supremacist legion of doom and it's dangerous to everyone who looks like me um, you feel like the spring court nominee today kind of falls in that same line of course they should all wear white hoods and burn crosses at the Capitol because that's exactly, that's exactly the move, that's what they're going for. And the fact that he would put someone up there that is so racist and is not practicing the equality that we need to see, it's, again, it's insulting and it's, he's not gonna last. I mean, so you're I, not a fan of the pick? I'm really not. <laughs> they're burning crosses is what they're doing, who knew? Uh, this is a great little video because I'm not surprised at all, of course, that's the reaction. That's what the, forget the students, that's what the left-wing press does. That's what adults in the Democrat Party do. That's what you're going to see regardless of who the nominee is tomorrow. And say, so, oh, she, I hope, is a racist and a thisist and a sexist and a this and a bigot and a mon- They don't know anything about her. They don't know anything more than these kids know about the invisible person. But it's going to be a great opportunity to gather these leftist tears. And it's a good reminder, by the way, that they have no idea what they're talking about. They have no clue. They're just spouting little catchphrases. Racist, sexist, blah, 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 blah. When a lefty calls you that, just let, it's okay. Let it roll off you. It doesn't mean anything. They're not talking about you. They're talking about whatever fantasy is bouncing around their, their echoey imaginations, <laughs> just like in that video. All right, we're running late. Uh, that's our show. We're, I hope, going to have a good show tomorrow once we decide who the Supreme Court justice is. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.